You're listening to I Am Here. Yes, hello listeners. Before we get to the episode, I wanted to send a special thank you to my patrons. Thank you so much to John, Michael, Kelly, DC, Minna, Ree, The Hydean Way, Fandible, Roll Like a Girl, and Dice for Brains. Your support is so appreciated, and I'm very grateful for you all. And, of course, a very special note that International Podcast Month has been announced. I cannot wait for you to hear what's in store for September on the I Am Here RSS feed. We've got so many great collaborations, and I can't wait for you to hear the amazing audio drama minisodes and RPG one-shot episodes planned. Go to www.internationalpodcastmonth.com for more information. Now, on to the show. Hello, Kira. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, thanks for having me. So, Kira, you are uh, a game designer, and you have done a few things but you most recently put out uh, a new gmless game called a cozy den yes so you're a game designer kira tell me about uh how you got into tabletop and game design in in general and then we'll talk about a cozy den oh yeah absolutely it's i don't know i feel like it's the same story everybody has you know i played games for a long time and then I didn't see the games in the world that I wanted to see, so I started designing them. (laughs) (laughs) And like, I think I don't. I think with most people, and for me, that starts kind of like with hacking games for your friends and then running them. So like, the first game I ever hacked was um, was Fate, like the Fate system. Okay. Yeah, and because I wanted to run a Farscape game. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I don't know if you're familiar with Farscape, like the TV show. Uh, like I'm aware of it, I've just never watched it. <laughs> yeah. It, so for a long time, I was like, "What is this cheesy shit?" And then I finally watched it. And I'm like, "This is the best thing." That why doesn't everybody talk about? It's like very queer. It's about like alien sexuality and identity, and you know, chosen family, and like all that good stuff. And very pulpy and so I kind of want it because it has like Jim Henson Muppets in it so I kind of wanted to like (laughs) capture that kind of pulpy feel and so fate's like a good pulp system (laughs) so yeah so that's the first game I ever hacked and I wrote about it on story games which is the forum I was on all the time with a bunch of designers and we um I was like hey I'm doing this Farscape hack of fate can y'all help me with these silly rules? And they were like, yes, that's amazing. And so I felt like very supported and welcomed. And yeah, (laughs) that's awesome. Yeah. And I know you said it's everybody's story of you didn't see what you wanted to see in the games that existed. So you started making your own. Let's let's break that down a little bit. Let's dig deep. What what was missing from the games that you were playing or the games that you were exposed to that you wanted to see in in your game? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, that's a really good question, and, and it is pretty deep. Uh, there, there was a lot of stuff I wanted to see, right? Like, I think that in tabletop role-playing games, like, things that I had, I was playing were, like, uh, like I played White Wolf games forever, like since I was a, when when I was a teenager, and uh, you know, LARPs 
And I think a lot of White Wolf has to do with identity. I mean, like a lot of people got it. I got into it because of, you know, subculture, basically like goth subculture. Like they had vampire t-shirts at Hot Topic. And I was like, what is this? (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? So I think, I think one of the big things for me in gaming is identity and like, how can I express myself and use my creativity to like, learn more things about myself and my friends and our feelings about things. <laughs> so, so I guess some of the stuff that was missing uh, from games that I was seeing, I mean, there, there are not a whole lot of uh, queer lady game designers um, as opposed to like, you know, the rest of the game design population. So I wanted to see representation. I wanted to see, you know, myself in the games and, I wanted to see stuff that wasn't just like, wasn't just like, let's fight all the time. And these are the only rules you can do. Right. <laughs> Which there are games that do that, right? Like one of the first games that I was excited about that did that was Burning Wheel because it has rules for like social combat. Yeah. And I was like, this is amazing. I want more social combat and politics and games. <laughs> so, so yeah, there's like a lot of stuff I think that's missing that I would still put in. Um but yeah, those are those are some of the big things. Like more representation, more identity stuff. Yeah, of course. Less physical fighting and violence. Right, because I mean, an RPG doesn't have to equate to violence and solving everything with kill the bad guy. Yeah, right, exactly. I mean, I love kung fu movies and action films and, you know, Fury Road, right? Like, yeah. like vi- violence is cool in narratives, and that's like a genre. But like, right. does every game have to do that? I think that that's where I get a little tired of it. Yeah, no, that's understandable. So, a cozy den was the first. Is it your first? Uh, like fully, I guess released. Yeah, yeah. It's complicated because, <laughs> like, how how do you define those things? Right? Like, I, uh, you know, I've been writing hacks for things just for fun and then I've released things for free and I've done you know setting development for other games and like so so I've been like writing things for a long time I've even released like my some of my own stuff before um before that but it's the first one that like I wrote and like finished and like released as like a big deal like I did this whole thing all by myself pretty much like there wasn't an editor right (laughs) (laughs) so so that's yeah that's why i call it kind of like an accomplishment that's really exciting though Mm -hmm. congratulations absolutely thank you so much (laughs) that's awesome yeah because i mean it's not that hacking games is easy i think it's really great when people release their hacks and their versions of how they would play a specific game um which i always find really exciting to see but it must have felt like really really great to after doing hacks for so long really create your own from the ground up yeah yeah i mean it's it's funny because like what is a hack i guess like (laughs) it still uses a cozy den still uses power by the apocalypse rules right right it's just that i've changed them and mutated them and grown them and right so well, I I'd say it's more than a hack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, don't, I mean, I, I don't think it's wrong if it is. I, you know, it's just no, kind of like, no. Of course not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what, what makes it, what makes it new? I don't. It's like an art history question. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. So let's talk about Cozy Den. Tell me, tell me about it. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, I know about it, but <laughs> listeners might not. <laughs> I'm really happy you know about it. I'm actually, I am really happy. I can't, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but I feel like I've sold a lot of copies of it. 
And that makes me happy that they like exist and it just exists as a thing in the world that many people have access to and are potentially playing. And uh, yeah, it, it's basically um, a cozy den is a, what, what, what would it be? It's an intimate game of domestic winter is basically the tagline and so you play like a bunch of lesbian snakes which are these mythical creatures that are half lesbian half snake and they uh basically have created a den to overwinter in and so you have a whole bunch of you living together and you have to figure out like how you can make the den as cozy as possible during winter time and all get along in that space together i love that that is not only super adorable, but it's also complex because emotions. Yeah. <laughs> it's not easy to live with people. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Not at all. Yeah. And so I, re I really like that. I, I think it's a really cute idea. And you know a lot about snakes because you're a snake mom. Yes, I do. That's partially <laughs> why I wrote this game because uh, I became a snake mom like a year and a half ago. Yeah. Uh, for my first snake. And now I have a baby snake. And um, so two. But I, I was so obsessed. I'm still obsessed with them. And so like kind of whatever is at the front of my mind is going to be like what I creatively make next. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is true. I don't know. It's good inspiration, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So like I was really um, all on all these Facebook groups that are just for snakes. And like I learned how to identify wild snakes. And I learned that snakes you know, spend this time together in the real world in dens over the winter. And sometimes it's like a mix of snakes. Like sometimes it's venom, like rattlesnakes with garter snakes. And like, uh, you know, a lot of times, I, I don't know, thinking about that, it kind of just like kind of just humanized the snakes to me. Like I, things I didn't know about snakes, they actually live together and cuddle for warmth during the winter and they take care of their young, you know, when they're very little and like, I think that snakes are often depicted as like these kind of evil animals as though animals can be essentially evil. Right. And, you know, I was like, oh, it's a lot like lesbian communes in the 80s. <laughs> 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 so that's kind of how the game happened. <laughs> I mean, it sounds to me like this is very much a product of not just what you love, but what you identify with. Mm -hmm. Because you know, you are pretty vocal, I would say, about about being queer. Absolutely. Or I really like the fact that the concept of the game is about just being queer <laughs> and like learning to live with each other and figuring out how to coexist in like a humane and nice way. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I mean, this, I'm glad that you could kind of identify those themes from the game. Um, it's it's a very personal game for me. Uh, for that reason, it's two two things that I really love. Like, I really love queer history. I uh, actually follow this Instagram that's really good. I think it's called it's like Lesbian History, Lesbian History, or something like that. Um, and they were posting a lot of stuff about lesbian communes and there were like these interviews with the people who were in them and who started them like in the 70s and 80s and it was just really interesting listening and so there were interviews with them at the time and then it followed like this kind of popular photo lesbian photographer who documented them and that you okay. can buy like a book about this which sounds pretty cool it's not very 
easily accessible, but it's something that exists in the world. And I'm like, cool. I didn't know about that. And then right. they, they interviewed them recently for like Pride last year, I think. And um, it's hilarious listening to these older lesbians talk about like their experiences in communes in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> they, were, they were like, they were like, I think we went a little too far sometimes. Like, it is not necessary to share one toothbrush. Like, we could all have had our own toothbrushes. <laughs> <laughs> and just like these ridiculous. Like, I, I I can, like, imagine what a lesbian commune is in my mind, but I didn't understand, like, you know, during that time period, it wasn't a big part of gay culture to assimilate into the status quo, but rather escape from the status quo and kind of create our own, um, you know, anarchist communes and, like, uh, live live outside of it because, you know, we couldn't be a part of it and we didn't have any any legal support at all in any way in any right right and so um it's interesting seeing that in contrast with what's happening now with like legalization of gay marriage and you know, how, how politics have shifted and everything yeah absolutely mm-hmm. that does really i think like have such an effect and and bleed into the way that we role play because when the world doesn't provide what we need, mm-hmm. role playing is really truly is like a way to escape. It is escapism. We can play in worlds where we want to be stronger or where we want the world to be shaped differently or where we want to be a part of ourselves that perhaps we can't or don't feel like we can be mm-hmm. in real life. And I think that politics and that bleed from real life goes into our games and the way that we explore role playing. And I love that your your game really kind of captures that sense of of it being this is this is what you can be and it's okay. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> so <laughs> I really like it. I actually haven't had a chance to play it because it, it's funny, before I before I had asked to uh interview you, I think it was actually Adam Coble who retweeted maybe a cozy den or mm-hmm. something about it. And I got really excited and I was like, Oh, this sounds just super adorable. Like it just sounds like such a cute game but then i have this awesome online group who is always up for playing any game at all and they were like yes <laughs> so we're gonna be <laughs> playing it this summer so i'm really excited oh that's amazing very cool i'm always like sad when i get a game i'm really excited about and nobody wants to play it with yeah <laughs> yeah i know those feels like i think people um i actually just did a youtube video on this because i think people want to in, in in everything, in movie watching too, it's not just games, but just kind of like stick to stuff that they know. Because um, it's a little bit safer and easier and doesn't require learning anything. And so like, I think when I'm, when I'm thinking about designing, and especially like, I think about designing for that crowd of like, how can I easily convince people to play this weird thing? But also right. like, um, you know, for people who don't play games at all, or who maybe. Uh, are new new to role playing or who are in marginalized groups who are like queer people, trans people, people of color, whatever. Like, how can I make it as easy as possible for them to run the game? Like, how, how can yeah. I make it like accessible in the sense that they don't have to read a ton of rules? It's very uh, easy and intuitive to learn and use character sheets and follow the instructions and. Uh, you know, it's it doesn't require a GM, so you don't have to yeah. have someone who needs to learn all that or feel the pressure to run the game. It just runs itself, type of thing. I right. think those are those are things that can like allow more groups of people who might not just have as much access to role playing games as people who've been playing for like twenty years.
characters or whatever like me. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I think that there are people who've been playing role-playing games for, you know, 20 years who have always just stuck with one kind of game and haven't found anything or really felt comfortable branching out, perhaps because they are so comfortable. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but I think everyone should try new things. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But I think there's a bridge there by making games really easy to understand, easy to run, not no pressure for one person to learn all the rules uh, mm-hmm. for a group that is comfortable and has been playing with each other for a really long time in the same system. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, uh, a bit, you were talking about uh, experimentation in role playing. Yeah. A little bit ago. And it, like a cozy den, like I, it, it is about, it is about lesbian culture. It is about queer culture for sure. Um, but it is meant for kind of everyone to play so that if you're not queer, if you're not lesbian, you can be like, oh, this is what butch and femme mean. And in the context of like a queer community, um, you know, the fact that I actually fixed the trans language in there, you know, there can be trans lesbians and stuff like that. So it's kind of like, I, I want it to be like opening and, and give people a chance who are like not queer to maybe experiment with how that feels or learn about what those identifiers might be because maybe it's a part of them too who knows yeah i i really love that because i think that especially when you have uh you know when you're talking about trans for instance for somebody who is cis like myself your game gives permission for people to explore identities that are not their own in a really safe space Mm -hmm. and i really like that because my pronouns are she, her, but in one of our D&D campaigns, I'm playing a non-binary character and I approached it with my group of friends as I need to get better at language and I want to be able to kind of reset the language part of my brain that has spent over 25 years with these very binary pronouns. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually doing that in a, a game I'm playing right now. Um, it's a playtest called girl by moonlight and it's oh yeah by andrew gillis yeah 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 yeah. and i think i think everyone actually playing the game is uh genderqueer or non-binary i'm non-binary i I don't know sometimes i don't know how i to identify i started calling myself a cyborg because i identify with that gender better (laughs) (laughs) um because i don't know because my gender is just very fluid and there's all different kinds of I basically pick the language that makes the most sense and is easiest to communicate to people around me so they understand what, where I'm coming from, you know? Right. But I I use she, her pronouns. And so for this game, I'm using they, them pronouns, which I don't normally do, but I like them, I think. Sometimes I like them and sometimes don't. I'm like, I'm going to experiment with this and see what it's like to constantly refer to myself as they, them. So yeah, I think that those things in role-playing games... Like, I mean, that's a real educational tool. I will remember and learn from that, even though it's not the real world. And it's a safe place to experiment with it, like you said, too. Like, it's not like out in a high stakes public environment. You're not with your family, you know, for a holiday. It's just kind of like, let's let's test this out. Maybe this will work for me. Right. And and it can be either for yourself or or for others, you know? So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I really love that A Cozy Den gives that permission to players to here, explore an identity that isn't your own. Mm-hmm, yeah. I'm not a lesbian, but I'm really excited mm-hmm. to play this and explore this because I will never understand, I suppose, that culture to the depth. I can learn and I can read and I can, I, I'm not part of it. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You, you don't have the lived experience, but you can learn about exactly. it. Exactly. And I think that yeah. sometimes we learn better through play. Yeah, I think so too. Absolutely. It helps you with your empathy tools. You kind of gain more empathy and more understanding in your mind, I think. Yeah. And so I love it when I find games like yours that are just very explicitly providing that permission to explore identity and to be safe exploring that identity versus games that just say, are you a man or a woman? Yeah. (laughs) Or like, it's okay to play a trans character, but we're not going to really tell you what that looks like. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's fine. It's just, I think a, a little, less it's a little it's a little more unexamined yeah and like in in general too i think that it's cool it's uh it's more interesting to be specific like uh if you can uh, this is why i like small and indie games because they're specifically about one thing instead of openly being about everything because when you when you get specific you learn you learn more details and things have more meaning as opposed to well just anything could happen anything is possible uh and I, I think that that is that's really meaningful like it's it's become very important to me since i i a couple years ago i wrote this game it's a larp and it's called mobilize okay and basically it's about queer women in world war ii and like the mechanics shop that they work in to like fix the war vehicles okay and part of world war ii history that i didn't know part of queer history i didn't know is that world war ii helped to mobilize queer communities because for the first time in america people from different like bumpkin middle of nowhere towns were being kind of shipped around the u.s to different city hubs and meeting more queer people like themselves. And that's how gay bars got started. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. And like people are still like I go currently in contemporary times, my mechanic shop, my car shop is run by lesbians. And that's a holdover from queer lesbian mechanics in World War II. That is really (laughs) cool. Yeah. Like so and it's not always with queer history, women's history, blah, blah, blah. Things are hidden. Like we're we're not taught these things. And they're part of our that's part of my identity that I didn't know. Right. And so if I can like write about that or create like an interactive experience that teaches about that in any way. I think that's really, really valuable to the queer community. Absolutely. And valuable, I think, to, I would say, valuable outside of the queer community as well. Because, like you said, when you have games like this, they can also help teach that empathy and that understanding of a self that is not you. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, and yeah, if you understand a little bit more about lesbian history, which is really, really, I mean, anything that's not like a cis white gay man's history is pretty hidden in queer history. So a lot of people just don't even understand lesbian culture or where it comes from. Right. Yeah. That's that's something I'm very interested in sharing with the world. (laughs) (laughs) That's really cool. I I love that that influences the way that you, the way that you design and the way that you create your games. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, apart from lesbian history, what else influences you in, (laughs) in how you design or the, elements of gameplay oh yeah great question i mean yeah education is a big part so that's kind of linked with the queer history thing like i think um if i can learn about something and teach somebody else about it through my games or teach somebody else stuff that i that's just in my head you know things that i know i think that that's a really valuable way to share information it's like when I was younger playing, you know, where in the world is Carmen Sandiego or Mist or like whatever, like I learned things from those games because I was playing them. Right. 
and think I think that I always associate education with games, and so I try to put that into my games, even if it's just like the smallest thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm also really influenced by um, by cyberpunk fiction and witchcraft, and so uh, th- these are things that are just kind of like a part of th- things that I like yeah. as Kira, like as a person. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that, that's kind of like what influences my game design and, and the things that I make, uh, you know, as far as like genres, concepts, you know, subcultures, art, things like that. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I guess, are you are you working on anything new? Oh, yeah, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Can you share what, what you're working on right now? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, A Cozy Den, I released through my Patreon and so it was kind of uh, an experiment of, like, how long will it take me to release a small experimental game, um, you know, that's playable? And um, and I think it took me about three months, three to four months. Okay. Yeah. And so I was like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> now, now I know that. And so, uh, so I'm going to try my loose goal is through my Patreon to release something, you know, like every three to four months. I've, I've already released a second game through there, but it was a twine game. So not a tabletop role playing game. And right now, I guess the third game I'm releasing I'm working on right now is a David Lynch inspired game because I love David Lynch. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'm just like a huge David Lynch nerd. He's got his problems. and yeah, I mean, so, a lot of his stuff is kind of problematic. That's fine. Whatever. But I was was obsessed with Twin Peaks. The new Twin Peaks came out last year and I lost my mind. It was so good. <laughs> but um, the way he thinks about narrative, the themes that are in his stories kind of like body horror identity confusion uh lots of meta meta feelings like is are you who you really are are you where you are are you in the right time Mm -hmm. like this kind of feeling of unease with the world and twin peaks specifically is very american gothic horror right like it's a very like the dark places in america type of thing which i love and so and you know and mulholland drive is like one of one of like the best lesbian horror movies i've ever seen and so so yeah i'm like really into his aesthetic and and that type of horror that kind of uncanny uncanny horror american horror and so i'm making like a larp based on it i think it's going to be like a parlor larp where you like you play it in your living room and like make fancy cocktails and have people over with strange you know thrift clothes thrift store clothes or whatever a little kind of david lynchish yeah and then kind of get into playing with this tiny like one night horror game <laughs> i like it so that's what i'm working on that sounds really yeah, interesting right now. yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's my Patreon project. And then my other big project that I'm working on, because I'm working on about 10, usually working on about 10 things at once. Ooh, cool. Kind of like, that's a lot. Like a lot of, <laughs> yeah, a lot of freelance stuff. Yeah. This is kind of like my, my full-time gig right now. Yeah. I'm trying to actually make money making games. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, let's let's promote that. Let's boost that right now. Yeah. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, my Patreon, you can support that and help me make games, but the second game um, I'm working on that's pretty big is something I've been making for two years, and it's um it's a cyberpunk tabletop game. It's powered by the apocalypse, and it's called Sync. Okay, like S Y N C, and it's basically the idea behind it is a more feels focused, nonviolent activist cyberpunk game. Interesting. Yeah. So like instead of like 
a book full of guns and, you know, Friday Night Firefight, which I love from older cyberpunk games. It's more about like how a, gr- how a group of people can kind of work together you know, queer, queer family, chosen family can kind of work together to fight oppressive systems that are kind of working against them and their neighborhood. And it's very much like, like hackers and Mr. Robot and, um, the other thing, oh, like William Gibson novels, like around the turn of century, in the early 2000s, like pattern recognition. Yeah. That's really interesting. And so like, it's, I mean, is this game very focused on like kind of more like the political side of things, but also like, does it have some of those similar mechanics in it of, I guess, the emotional side of support for like PCs, NPCs, the way that you interact in like a political like way? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, you're more or less, you're not doing too much of the politics, but you're kind of like the main characters, the moves that they can make are based on kind of like feelings like their ability to connect with people technology and like uh sensitive sensitivity and observation skills so like how how are they able to recognize what's going on and in what ways can they use their their small community and the technology abilities that they have to make a difference okay and so is the tech in the game with it being cyberpunk do you focus on on tech in terms of like like replacing body part type things or with it being emotion is the tech more focused on the way that people like connect and communicate yeah it's a little bit of both okay but it's not it's not super futuristic right so it's like it's what william gibson likes to call 10 seconds in the future so it's kind of like now but maybe maybe 50 years from now okay (laughs) yeah so it's it's and it's kind of ambiguous on purpose because the focus isn't really like what's the cool tech we have it's more like well, how are we using this kind of social media like thing to manipulate people's feelings about stuff? And right. How how can I how can I make uh, you know tiny robots to help me out with my chores? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's a little it's a little slice of life, and it's a little like I like that. You know, you're actually up against like these big these big oppressive corporations uh, or groups like you know like the cops or like insurance companies and gentrification and things right. like that. That's really interesting. It sounds very neat. Is it in playtesting right now? It is in playtest. Yeah, I have a public playtest for it. There's a link on my Twitter. Perfect. Very cool. I really like that. You kind of already hinted that it's pretty near and dear to your heart. Yeah, when I was when I was younger, I loved Blade Runner. I loved Rachel from Blade Runner and Pris, you know, like the lady character. Right. And I loved uh, Ghost in the Shell with Major Kusanagi. Mm, yeah. And she was kind of like a queer icon for me, and I didn't really know it. Like, she, she's a cyborg, so, she, she, you know, what is her gender identity? And, like, they call her a lady and talk about like her period and stuff like that but she's also like leading this badass team of like super cops yeah <laughs> and like she the way she's drawn that the movie is a lot about her body and like she's drawn with like these really broad shoulders and she looks kind of sturdy and sometimes she does walk the line between like uh, she it looks like she has a gender queer body and there's like certain scenes where she's like waking up with women in bed and stuff like that and so all that stuff like made me love cyberpunk basically <laughs> <laughs> uh and you know i didn't just love 
I mean, she's a fantastic character. There's actually this really awesome article about her and trans identity. I can't remember what it's called, but that's fantastic too, just talking about um, cyborg trans identity. And cyberpunk in general, like as an aesthetic, is beautiful. I love the tech aesthetic. I love the neon. I love the rain. It's very like emo, you know? Yeah. And like when I was going to golf clubs, you know, and when I was a teenager and in college and, uh, you know, people would do like a cyber goth looks and like have like all these fantastic like goth, you know, cyber outfits and, you know, hackers and the matrix and like all that, all those looks, all the style is amazing. Um, but the themes, you know, they're kind of about, they're about class struggles and they're about like living in urban settings. And so they tend to have mixed genders, mixed races represented and, you know, just kind of kind of trying to to connect with other people, like, yeah. you know, amidst this world full of technology that you don't understand, you know, yeah. and like what it is to be human and and have technology with you. Like we're cyborgs now, like we carry around cell phones every day. We're, <laughs> we're basically cyborgs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like we're connected to the world. It's all right here. Um, and I think that's really cool. I think there's a lot of I'm not, I'm very pro-tech. I'm very much like, I think technology is good for us. The internet is good for us. It connects us in ways that we haven't ever been before. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so as a designer, like from what you put out, it seems to me like you're really overt about ensuring that kind of your identity and identities that are within the queer community are really important for you to overtly represent. Mm -hmm. So there's purpose behind that. Do you find yourself also not just designing games that make a point of ensuring that representation, but do you really gravitate towards playing games that are also, I guess, explicit about their representation? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's really funny. I keep going back to this recently because, you know, the Infinity War just came out. I didn't see it yet. Neither have I, so no spoilers. Yeah, it's fine. no spoilers. Neither either. of us can spoil it for each other. <laughs> <laughs> but it got me talking, to comic, talking about comics. Um, with my partner's mom and I was like you know I used to go to the comic book store when I, with my dad when I was younger he'd like take me to the comic book store he'd go and pick out like Iron Man and you know I don't know just like Conan and like a lot of like hyper masculine things in a lot of ways and like he's really into cheesy sci-fi and I would go right to Catwoman X-Men <laughs> Kabuki, Sandman, like things that I could literally see myself in, right? Right. And I I didn't understand as a child that that's what I was doing. But that really, pe people, I think, really don't understand how much representation really makes a difference. Not just representation, but active inclusion. Like this game is not, it doesn't just have a lesbian in it, but it is about being a lesbian. Right. And I think that, I just think that's really, it's really powerful for me. Like Monster Hearts definitely does that for me. Mm -hmm. You know, it is explicitly about being a que queer teenager and the body horror that goes along with that. Right. <laughs> and I, I think some games do it better than others, uh, you know, as far as like the explicitness of it. You know, I think Kagematsu is another good example of being representative, like a, la a lady is supposed to run it for men playing women yeah, yeah. I, there's like a lot of indie games that do this and I, I think I think that as as a, a queer like gender queer person I have the ability to to represent people to be visible uh you know I feel I feel safe doing that most of the time and if other people can see me doing that 
it's really important because that means that they are going to feel more welcome in this space. They're going to feel like they can design games or talk about games that are explicitly about them. And so, so yeah, I just think it's really important. I really like that. A hundred percent. I agree. It's, it's absolutely important. And kind of going back to you being a kid and unknowingly seeking out what you saw yourself in, Mm -hmm. that wasn't necessarily you actively thinking, oh, that is me. I'm going to pick a comic that is me. It's what you were just naturally gravitated toward. And I think as adults, especially as we get older, we talk about how important representation is. And and I think part of why representation is so important is not just for ourselves as adults in today and what we see right now. It's for those kids who will unknowingly gravitate towards themselves. And if they see themselves more and more and more and they see themselves as mainstream, then the world becomes a safer and more open place for them to feel like they can actually be themselves. Yeah, absolutely. It's just really important. There's there's like statistics to back it up and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that it's interesting to me how much more I care about this stuff now than I did when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, same. (laughs) And I think it is that more like explicit, like, I'm going to be out here, I'm going to be vocal, I'm going to take up the space, and I'm going to let people know that I'm here. And it's because when I was younger, I didn't see that. Yeah, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really know anybody like me, you know, who was older. <laughs> right. And like it took me joining a whole bunch of like joining uh you know before I joined uh any kind of queer communities I I joined goth communities, I joined game communities, I joined kink communities and they're all kind of like adjacent, right? They're like queer right. adjacent. So it wasn't until like I don't know like my late 20s until I was like I'm going to join a queer community. I should probably do that. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's just because like I just didn't I didn't, I don't know. I got called out once by one of my lesbian friends. He's like, uh, you're bi? Like, cause I used to identify, I still kind of identify as bi. I don't know. But, um, and I was like, yeah. And she's like, I didn't know that. You need to be more vocal about that. And, <laughs> and I was like, excuse me? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, the more people that know, the more it is normalized. And I'm like, cool. And, you know, not everyone has the privilege to do that. Like, I am lucky enough to do it. I'm in a safe space. I'm, I've moved out of my parents' house, you know, like all that type of stuff. I'm not around people who might who might necessarily put me at some kind of risk for me being out in that sense. But, right. you know, today's political climate, unfortunately, you know, it is important to be vocal about your political identity so that we can actually get rights to support our identities. Yeah. It's interesting to me because I live in Canada and we're a bit ahead of the US, but we are certainly not um, immune to our faults and issues up here. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's fascinating to me because I don't consider myself old. I'm 31. Yeah. <laughs> and yet, the year that I graduated high school is the year that gay marriage became legal in Canada. Oh, wow. And... When I was in high school and junior high, there was no such thing as like gay straight alliances in public schools. And in the province that I live in right now, it's a mandatory thing for every single public school 
elementary, junior high, high school, they all have to have gay straight alliances, mm-hmm. like support groups, basically. And I'm yeah. like, this didn't exist when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. And that wasn't that long ago. Yeah. And so it's amazing to me how how quickly things can change, even mm-hmm. though they feel like they are taking forever to change. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have those either. Yeah. When I was younger. And I think that it took me a long time like, I think I've always known that I'm genderqueer, but it took me a long time to figure out how to integrate that with the rest of my life. Right. I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay. Yeah. And it's fine. I mean, some of the things you yeah. just naturally figure out over a long period of time. But a lot of that was mostly just because I didn't have access to information when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Like, I knew about these identities. I, I had an inkling about feminism, you know, and I, I kind of could see some... I guess my uncle is gay, you know, but that's, compl- you know, fa- complicated family things. Like, that. I wasn't allowed to have access to a lot of the information he did just because of uh, family politics. And so I-, I just didn't understand how you could be a genderqueer or queer person in the world. Mm-hmm. I didn't really identify much younger that, you know, I could be out about my gender queerness and I didn't just have to dress funny <laughs> right you know <laughs> and that that ha- basically how to say that and communicate that and like integrate that with, with people you know and culture and yeah yeah i think I, I think if there's any any small way that you can communicate that to to younger people like that's the stuff that i wish i had yeah and i think that i think that you're doing that via your games like creating so. <laughs> these games that are so explicit and and do give the the players that permission to just be and i think that's a wonderful thing that to a certain extent like we missed when we were younger that never existed yeah and if it did exist it wasn't accessible to us and part of that comes from the age of the internet uh you know like when i was in junior high we had like msn messenger and like dial-up internet and shit so like it's yeah. not like <laughs> it, it, it's not like today totally. and i think that that ties nicely in with what you said about how um the internet connects us and mm-hmm. It's better for us than being limited to the opinions and thoughts and beliefs of our small towns that we live in that perhaps prevented a lot of people from being able to explore and learn about the different identities and sexualities and ways of just being able to exist in the world. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, the internet is like our World War Two in that sense. Like, uh, <laughs> not, not to say it's like a giant war, but you know how I was talking about how the war mobilized queer people and kind of got them to, got us to cities in order to be able to meet more people like us. That's like what right. the internet does. It's like you, you can, if there's no one near you physically that you have access to or that you can find, or if you're a teenager and you're not allowed to go out, you know, to gay clubs, you can find queer community online. And that is really powerful. Like people need community in order to kind of support and learn from each other. Like I've learned so much and been so grateful to the various communities I've been a part of and that I'm still a part of. And, um, yeah, I, just, I think that's really important. Yeah, and I guess I just because that's important to me, I will just inject that into every game that I write. <laughs> yeah, but I love that that's becoming, I, I feel at least, the more and more I talk to designers and um, people who play and people who run RPGs, the more and more I believe that the RPG community is overlapping with or being overlapped by these other communities you know, even talking about queerness in RPGs, like 
RPGs have always been escapism to a certain degree. And so people use them to to be something that they're not or to be themselves more safely, I guess. Mm -hmm. And I really feel like it's starting to overlap. And I think that that's such a positive thing for the RPG community to be able to embrace the queer community and embrace queerness into the RPG community. Because that's something that didn't exist when I was younger. And it's really cool seeing (laughs) that exist now. It's it's really funny because I think that it has always overlapped to a certain... Like, there's this Venn diagram of, like, you know, Renfair people and Skadians and role players and LARPers and goth kids and kinksters and queers. Like, it's kind of like this, like, they're all very similar in lots of ways. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, when I was a teenager and playing Vampire LARPs, Vampire is definitely a queer game. It's just not... (laughs) It's not overtly queer. You know, right? But I mean, and rice like vampires are gay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, and it draws it. It draws that kind of. It drew that kind of community for me. Like there was that overlap where I was able to, you know, hang out with my goth partner and friends, and we would like larp at the goth club, and then we would meet other people who were like us and who were into anime and queer stuff and kinky stuff and you know it it was just like this huge overlap and I think that while that was possible for me and I think possible for a lot of people playing a lot of these even D&D like back in you know the 70s or whatever like I'm sure there's I mean there's 100% overlap with Tolkien fantasy and queer communities I mean like the elves have always been gay yeah And I guess I should say, like, it's not that they didn't exist before. It's that I think we didn't see it so explicit before. Absolutely. It was not as open. It it was not as open, intentionally open or inclusive as it is now. And I think that there are still a lot of problematic issues with a lot of gaming communities, quite obviously, like things like Gamergate and stuff like that. But, you know, I think that it is is getting better. It is more open and uh, like a... a loud awareness and a visible, like a visibility of those of queer communities is definitely out there now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> it is. It's really cool. I like it. Yeah, I like it too. Like, I get to meet people, like you know, new trans friends who live in Australia. You know, and like yeah, <laughs> who are like designing games, and I'm like, what? This world is amazing. <laughs> it's really cool. I mean, I have been loving the the people who I'm interviewing not just for the show but just like talking to in general about games and game design and and being exposed and and it's interesting because I would say that when I was when I was younger you know they say the older that you get the more close-minded you get yeah (laughs) and I would say that for me it's been the opposite And, and perhaps that comes from the fact that uh, the age that I am, I started my life not in an age of internet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the internet really hit when I was like junior high, like grade seven, grade eight kind of thing. And then slowly opened up and opened up my worldview because of opening the world to me, you know? And so, and so for me, it's, it's so fascinating how my worldview and my like has just gotten like shattered open. It's like, it's just like, I- I'm so much more open-minded today than I was like 15 years ago. And I think that RPGs and the RPG community and the internet in general have like just been such a huge influence on that. And the more yeah. I talk to people, the more I realize I'm not the only one who 
feels that way that like a lot of people discover these different communities because like you said with the Venn diagram like they overlap (laughs) yeah well and I think I think it's um you know getting older and close-mindedness I I just made a promise to myself to always learn new things like, I, I never think that I know everything, right? It's impossible to know everything. Right. I think if you dedicate your life to constantly being exposed to new things, doing new things, learning new things, you know, you'll live a very enriching life and you'll always, you'll always be more open-minded. <laughs> you'll yeah. always, you know, you'll be exposed to new stuff. Like, um, I'm trying to learn a lot more right now about, like, uh, heritage and race studies because, mostly because of gaming, to be honest, because in sync, I'm trying to, um, incorporate a lot of people of color and their stories in my game and it's very important to me to have that representation and also just that just real life authenticity like oh there's not just white people in this game right and you know kind of learning how to do that from people of color who are generous enough to spend their emotional energy on talking to me about it yeah <laughs> you know absolutely and you know i don't know everything possible to know everything and you know a lot of that a lot of uh, role-playing game communities like it's it's really interesting groups of people who kind of want to get together and tell stories yeah <laughs> you know just at its, at its essence you're creating a little a little friend community and you're being vulnerable with each other by sharing uh your imagination and and storytelling is uh one, one of the human essential things for for empathy and growth and and spreading knowledge and so i I think it it's it it basically creates a a very fruitful environment where it's very possible for people to do a lot of amazing things yeah absolutely i i feel like while there are a lot of bad things we can say about the rpg community (laughs) you know gamergate and all that stuff it's just like there there's so many more positive things that i think exist and that we can talk about and that we can say because you're right it is yeah there's just there's so many stories to tell and we all have our own life experiences that influence the way that we tell these stories yeah it's really it's really powerful i think and i mean there's shitty people in every community so yeah (laughs) what are you gonna do yeah (laughs) try try to do the best you can to keep them keep them out and yeah make make safety guidelines and find your people and you know cherish cherish the good things that you have that's beautiful Oh, <laughs> I'm smiling to myself right now because one of the last questions on my list that's like conversation slows down, you know, like yeah. refer to this list kind of thing. And one of them is like, how do RPGs influence your daily life? And I feel like from our conversations that RPGs are just part of your daily life and are just part of what you're doing for a full time job. It's it's what you're doing, the way that you interact with people. Uh, online. Oh no, you are 100 percent right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like role playing games and LARPs, I guess. Uh, right now, are yeah. I, I work on all of the games I'm working on my freelance projects every day now. It's definitely what I'm thinking about every day. It is my creative outlet. You know, I'm an artist. I went to art school. I'm I, I'm very trained in visual arts, and um, I can't do a lot of that right now because I have. I, I was recently diagnosed with fibromyalgia, and so it's just harder to do visual artwork physical things and so mm. writing and creating role-playing games has been like a lifesaver for me in that sense like I can put all of my creative and my creative energy and my imagination into making these things right. and so so yeah they're actually really important to me right now oh I'm, I'm so glad that they exist for you to be able to do that because that must be 
really hard to have to go from being a, a visual artist to not being able to do that as much. Yeah, it is. It is a little hard. I am definitely all over the place with my art, though, <laughs> 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 which is why I identify with David Lynch. He does it too. He's like, I'm a painter. I'm a movie maker. I'm a sculptor. Just kidding. I made this bench. Like, <laughs> that's definitely how I interact with different um, artistic media. But I, I, I made jewelry for a long time and I just haven't been able to make it. It's been kind of sad, but it also opens me up to these possibilities and, you know, writing games, having my Patreon and like being able to, to become a better writer and better game designer is pretty cool. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and I think that writing is essentially literary art. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so it's it's hopefully still filling a little bit of that void for you. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's still art. It's, uh, you know, writing is art. Game design is art. Uh, you know, it's, it's basically just using using creative energy with different media. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> I think, well, we've covered a lot and it's been wonderful. This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much, Kira. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. It was really lovely chatting with you. I'm glad yeah. that you invited me on. Oh, thank you so much for coming on. And mm -hmm. I guess, is is there anything else that you wanted to touch on that you want to talk about in terms of the RPG community or if there's anything you want to see different or change or, or any last thoughts that you'd like to share before we sign off? Oh, gosh, yeah. I recently um, started, was it, a newsletter? With my friend Anna Kreider and Misha Bouchager and Kimberly Lamb. And the concept behind the newsletter is basically promoting designers who, from like underrepresented genders. So, you know, like uh, transgender, queer, um, agender, you know, femme, mask, and, um, and women, like anyone, if, you, if like they've designed games or LARPs or have a Patreon, we kind of want to, uh, promote them on this newsletter. So that is called More Seats at the Table. Yeah. And we've got that going right now. It's pretty successful. We have, I can't remember how many people we have signed up, but it's definitely in the mid hundreds, I believe. And it's just, just because I think that there's a lot of games that do exist out there that are made by people who, like, aren't cis white men. But it's kind of, it's a little harder to find them, I think, sometimes or, or know about them. They're just not, they don't end up being as big in a lot of ways. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's a, that's a project that I'm working on right now. We didn't really touch on, but it is definitely related to game communities, like, Absolutely. Hey, let's, let's support our underrepresented genders and let's get, let's get, you know, like, I don't know. I hope enough people can be visible that like, there's like tiny humans right now who are like, I want to be, I want to be like you. And there's like, you know, a hundred Kira's when I'm older. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I actually um, subscribed to More Seats at the Table when it first was announced. I yeah. I really enjoyed the first issue. And it actually opened up like a few people who I hadn't heard of before who I was like, oh, this is really cool. And that was really exciting for me. Because like you said, we see the, the cis white man as the default for everything. And it's it's so nice to have something like uh, more seats at the table basically saying, no, here are here are some not <laughs> cis white men. Here are people making games who don't fit that default. It's a, it's a really, really cool project. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's important for me that the... I care about game communities, you know, so I want I want them to be more diverse. 
I want people to be aware of what's out there. So creating tools that do that, I think, I think will help. I hope, I hope it'll help. I think so. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. I'm so glad you mentioned it. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Thank you so much, Kira. This has been wonderful. I'm so excited that you came on to talk to me today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. This was such a blast. part of the show where I'm going to tell you about some of my favorite current podcasts. I'm going to give you two shows that I'm hooked on. One recommendation is always going to be an RPG podcast, and the other might be, well, something totally different. So, are you looking for something else to listen to while you're waiting for the next episode of I Am Here? I highly recommend Join the Party, a D&D 5e actual play podcast that will make you topple over with laughter. Listening to JTP will make you want to hug a gentle and loving, socially unaware giant robot, learn shadow secrets from an adorably terrifying teenage elf, and get magic tips and tricks from your favorite warlock dad and light-obsessed zealot. Next up, Girl in Space, an audio drama featuring, well, a girl in space. Her name is X. She's genuinely warm, kind, and delightful, and full of curiosity. Girl in Space is charming and captivating. This show is a beautiful, clever, and spooky story. I hope you enjoy this week's recommendations. Support for the I Am Here podcast, presented by RPG Casts, is made possible by listeners like you. You can help keep the show going and get sweet excess bonus content for as little as $2 a month when you become a patron on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash rpgcasts to check out exclusive rewards for patrons and to make your pledge. I Am Here is a production of RPG Casts. The intro and outro music was composed by Emily E. Mayo. Special thanks to Peter Grelly for designing the graphic art and assets for both RPG Casts and for I Am Here. Thank you so much for listening to I Am Here. It means so much.